Hi, I'm Howard Tierski. Welcome to the Winning Digital Customers podcast, where we focus on the stories of large-scale digital transformations told by the people who lead them. Welcome to another episode of the Winning Digital Customers podcast. Our guest today is Ray Wong. He is the founder, chairman, and principal analyst at Silicon Valley-based Constellation Research. He wrote a book you may very well have seen, published by the Harvard Business Review in 2015 called Disrupting Digital Business. He actually has a new book that came out last year, published by HarperCollins, called uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. And we definitely want to ask about that. I'm not sure I want to rule the world. I'm happy with my little corner up. But in any case, um, Ray is uh, uh, often uh, interviewed on media outlets. He's been in the Wall Street Journal, Fox Business News, CNBC, Yahoo Finance, et cetera, et cetera. And we're super happy to have him here. Uh, Ray, uh, thanks for joining us. And anything else you want to add to the intro so folks uh, that might not be familiar with you know who you are and what your mission is? <laughs> no problem. Thanks for doing that. Um, you know, Constellation Research is a company where we're spending a lot of time thinking about what's next. Um, it's a futures firm meets an analyst firm. And so we've got over you know, 20 people that are focused on what's next, what's happening, and all across different areas in the business area. So, mm. Well, so, so what's next? What is happening? You know, what's hot is the metaverse. Uh, I'm sure you've been talking about that. You're seeing that. The question is, hey, does that apply to the enterprise? And the answer is yes. We actually see that as a $20.1 trillion marketplace. Uh, that's going to happen for quite some time um, and by 2030. And so that's everything, right? And, and when we think of metaverse, it's not just, you know, those cool glasses, these virtual reality worlds. Um, those are just the interfaces, right, that we're going to have. The glasses, that's going to change over time. We're going to have gestures. We're going to have the ability to connect to brainwaves. Um, you got people like Elon Musk popping into the neural link saying, hey, we can actually connect you directly to the, you know, interface with human APIs. And we'll see a lot of that coming for quite some time. But what's interesting are the worlds that are going to happen. And the worlds may start out as live entertainment. It might be where, what's happening in the gaming worlds, but it's going to be like what we were doing in the 90s when the internet came out. We've got to get a domain name. We've got to get a website. We've got to build digital content. We've got to figure out what that digital content means for the enterprise. And what we decided to do is think about the use cases, right? There are 43 use cases from future of work, employee experience to commerce and customer experience. Um, and that's going to create the beginning of that. And then, of course, there's an area called decentralized, uh, decentralized Autonomous Organizations, or DAOs, and the DAOs are the organizing principles. Companies are going to spin off, you know, like the way you do a joint venture or you create a, you know, a, a new unit that's kind of separate from the company. They're going to spin off DAOs. These are the organizing principles, the governance requirements, you know, the rules of interaction between folks and customers, suppliers, partners, and employees. And they're going to create these new entities that are going to be out there. Um, where they're going to determine what the rules of the world are, how you're going to participate. And just think of that as a large membership organization that people are going to raise funds from. And then we have all that Web 3.0 infrastructure that actually makes this hap you know, happen, the decentralization that's occurring. And then, of course, we have a crypto layer, um, blockchain layer. That's how we actually do token economics, how we take loyalty to the next level. What do we have to do to encourage you, for example, to do these three things? Or we'll pay you for you know, this type of activity, whether it might be forwarding something, writing about something, sharing something, or referring a friend. And, you know, you might even pay money to actually come to an event or to purchase goods or services in the digital world. And so that's where we see this metaverse economy. It sounds hokey in the beginning. We're like, ah, it's just like some kind of fun thing that people are talking about. But it's going to encompass all areas of our life, 
where you work, you know, what you buy, you know, who you engage with, why you're actually, you know, in a digital world versus a physical world, those questions will be answered. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> well, I, you know, I must confess a certain skepticism, uh, full disclosure, when Twitter first came out, I was like, well, that sounds stupid. I don't know. What I so I, <laughs> I do not have a really great track record of predicting. Uh, and I thought second life was really cool. And I was like playing around with that. And obviously that was, you know, an early metaverse stab before we were using that term that, that didn't seem to, it was sort of a flash in the pan. Um, I observed my son, my nine-year-old son on living in places like Minecraft and Roblox. And I certainly see the gaming aspects of it. And of course, we know that in virtual reality, there are certain vertical applications, like for example, you know, military or flight simulation or military preparedness or you know, the repair of complex equipment machinery where I mentioned it. So there's definitely, we know, a training, we know that these things have been proven for a long time. At the same time, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my own house. We have probably three or four VR goggles that we've bought <laughs> at various times, discarded, nobody uses them. And I don't know, I wonder like if I'm, if I'm Citibank or Procter & Gamble trying to get people to sign up for checking accounts or I'm trying to sell toothpaste or toilet paper, what should I be doing right now about this all again? <laughs> Nothing Because it yet. sounds intimidating. No, no, and what you should be doing, right? And, but let's take a step back. Second Life was very cool. And what we're seeing is better graphics, better technology, faster capabilities, right? So you're seeing that play out again. Mm -hmm. um, and so what excited you about Second Life will only excite you even more. Now it's a question of who's going to participate, who's going to join. If you're a brand or an enterprise right now saying, hey, what do we do? How do we get started? I think what you want to do is just start playing with the different platforms, right? Start playing with the platforms, understanding what's out there. Right? There's some great platforms that people are engaging in, like Roblox is interesting, right? You see consumer brands starting to flock there. We see people getting to these new malls, like Decentraland is kind of an interesting place, right? Or, and learn the technologies, right? And how to build these things, like Unity is doing interesting stuff, Niantic's doing interesting stuff, Epic's doing interesting stuff. You know, there's the Omniverse coming from NVIDIA, right? Another area that, and so you wanna play in these different worlds because we're, it's like 1997. I can't tell you which browser is going to win. I can't tell you which e-commerce site is going to make it, right? But, you know, where are we now, right? Well, we learned about it. We learned how to operate a website. Well, how do we operate a metaverse, right? Do I share my metaverse? Am I part of a bigger coalition? Do I build my own one, right? That's going to be questions that people are going to be asking along the way, and it's going to change by industry, so. Is there something you'd point to that you'd say in the realm of, let's say, business outside of media and entertainment, right, outside of games and that that's consumer oriented though, that you think is, is working now, right? In other words, that people are really flocking to it uh, for some kind of like maybe commerce experience or transactional experience, something like that. What would you say is sort of the best of, the most successful so far that if I wanted to go or audience members wanted to go check something out, that might be a glimpse of the future, go look at that. Yeah, so check out some of the stuff a company called TouchCast is doing and they're, they're holding um, virtual events, right, in 3D. And I think that'll give you an idea of what you can expect, whether it's a live meeting, a product launch, an event. Um, that's going to be one way of seeing what that future looks like. And I think that's, that's a good start. Um, but to take it a little bit deeper, I think what you should understand is some of the fundamentals of why DAOs are being created, right? What would a you know, spin out or joint venture look like? Um, you'd also want to understand how digital assets are being settled, right? If you're taking stuff, you know, we're going to take payment in Bitcoin. Well, what does that really mean? Um, and what does that mean for the CFO? 
Um, and then, of course, you want to go out and say, you know, how do we participate in this? And you'll see it in advertising pretty soon, right, where esports will pick up. And esports is another place where we're going to see that in 3D. And every movie studio out there is going to put their digital assets out there, right? So my entire Marvel world will be there or Disney will play in this space. And luxury brands are starting to do that as well. So, so we'll see small pieces of this uh, pop up, but I think the acceleration will happen in the next two to three years because the way to build these uh, worlds, um, the rules behind what works, um, they're all being built right now. We're just at the beginning. So I think it's important to know that and understand where that is, but not to dismiss it as a trend that's gonna go away. Yeah. And I'd check out the, um, the example you gave the virtual meeting, metaverse meetings. That seems like, a, I, I'm with you. That seems like a logical next step where we want more, so much more Zoom meetings. How do we take that to the next level? So I can see the value. But um, know, there are use cases, right? We came up with 43 use cases of what you can do in the metaverse and, and not to like... Is that list online somewhere or can you kind of, I don't know if we have time to go through all 43, but I'd love to get a sense of like, what are the yeah. categories? No, it's a great point. Let's go through the categories. And when we think about the categories that are important, let's say the future of work, collaboration and meetings, right? There's lots of things you can do there, right? Um, recruiting, right? If you're worried about bias in recruiting, your avatar interviews my avatar, right? In a very, you know, um, non-threatening setting, right? Um, I can also do onboarding, right? Bringing folks together that are in different places so that you can build some camaraderie. You know, if you look at the stats, folks that were hired, you know, in the last 18 to 24 months are the most likely to leave because they don't feel connection. I'm training. Um, let's say we do live simulations and you say, I know what to do on an oil rig, right? Well, I'll give you like, you know, haptic gloves and an exoskeleton and we'll see, right. you know, what you can do on the oil rig without endangering anyone's lives. I can do that for training as well, right? Just to make sure you're okay or follow something in the day of the life of a physician and see what's going on. Or it could even be just as simple as, hey, look, we're doing repairs, right? We're going to actually deconstruct, you know, this unit. Uh, you're going to come in and go fix a repair, field service, follow someone along the way and uh, see how they're doing. Um, there's also internal comms, right? Um, how you can actually do one-on-one -on -one meetings. Digital twins are super hot. Uh, Matterport's another interesting one, what they're doing with buildings and building information systems. Uh, and then of course, you know, the commerce and customer experience is about advertising and search, of course. We're gonna see marketing where people launch products and create VIP experiences. Uh, sales is gonna be an interesting piece. Check out my immersive 3D demo, right? Team selling may never be the same again. And then of course, commerce, right? The digital worlds and digital malls that are out there, right? Bots and global reps. You might be talking to my bot for customer service about your customer service through your bot, and that's gonna be crazy. And of course, live events. So, so those are some areas that people can think about as we look at the metaverse. Yeah. Well, it'll certainly be interesting to see how that evolves. And let's go back a little bit to the, the DAO, the decentralized organization. That's another concept where, I mean, when you, and I hear about this a lot in the context of blockchain too, how, you know, a blockchain business that nobody owns, it's, it's sort of like its own independent entity. Um, and, and obviously there's a certain kind of scary Orwellian, or I don't even know what, you know, like this, or, or the future, uh, the, the machines are starting to take over, right? Now they can run their own companies without any people involved. But um, what is there, are there some examples of that where that you'd see? I certainly have seen a lot of success in different types of decentralized initiatives. I mean, look at Linux, right? That's not a very new, that's an old story. Most popular operating system in the world created by a decentralized, but yet it's still an organization. It's still run by some humans. Um, what would be an example like that we can all envision of like an operating 
functioning DAO and why it was created and, and how it works and, and how it's a good thing. And that's something that's going to lead us to, uh, you know, the, the age of terminate. <laughs> that's a good point. We see a lot of folks that say, okay, you know, these DAOs are going to drive us into some, you know, you know, bizarre world. It's a cult thing. Uh, no, but we, we see lots of things. I mean, if you think about, you know, the Uniswap DAO, that's, that's an interesting one. It's one of the biggest ones. There's a governance token around it. And the whole point of this DAO is, is really about, you know, sh sharing different types of ideas, right? Sharing different types of protocols that are out there, um, you know, being able to go out and, you know, create different opportunities, right? So it's kind of like a DAO to create other DAO, right? Can you is explain it, it a little bit more for people who may not be familiar with it, the Uniswap? Yeah, so um, you can submit a proposal um, to community members. Um, people vote on the proposal to say, hey, this is something that's interesting, and then they go fund it. Right. Um, and it's basically a funding mechanism. It's a GoFundMe page um, for startups that say, hey, I want to try something new. Um, we'll put everything digitally, all the you know, bylaws, all the rules, right, how people get paid out. Um, and, you know, if you get like 40 million yes votes, you know, they'll go out and build it. People will go out and say, hey, let's go do this. Right. So it's kind of like a, you know, a star search meets, you know, tech stars startup meets, you know, what's the future going to be? Um, and, and so that's one way to do that, to actually fund organization. Right. Um, another one is like MakerDAO, right? That's an interesting DeFi project. Um, and, you know, the idea is to figure out, you know, um, same thing, use on-chain voting to actually come up with rules and proposals uh, to get funding. Right. And so if you get a proposal that people like, um, you get voted and it gets funded and then people go out and build that. So, so the DAOs have actually played a role in terms of a funding mechanism, just like people would go out to, you know, get, you know, your early funding from angels, um, they've now created this ability to kind of do that uh, right away to get, you know, get funding off the bow, off the beginning. But DAOs can also work differently. They could be like membership organizations, almost like if you're participating in a volunteer group or charity or a country club, like all these things kind of play a role. Yeah, interesting. So for example, a bunch of banks could get together and say, hey, we all have a technology need that's not out there. We all need an API created for a particular purpose, or let's create a DAO to create shared technology that banks can use. And then they could all put proposals in, all vote on which ones should be done. They could submit an RFP and companies could submit proposals to the DAO. And then the people in the DAO could vote on it and decide who to hire and how to fund it. And essentially you've created a, a kind of an association, but one that nobody runs other than a set of programmatic rules that are driven by voting. If I, if I described it, uh, yeah, uh, that's exactly how it works. And that's just one type. These are protocol dials. These are funding dials, right? An investment type. But there's media dials and social dials and service dials, right? So just think of them as, you know, governance rules for organizations. For example, there's like the Board Ape Yacht Club, right? And, you know, that, you know that's like a, that, to, that is like in, in, in essence, a social dial. Folks like to get together and have some very interesting parties. <laughs> I mean, it's one way to look at this. Right. But these are early adopters, early crypto investors that have got, gotten together and, you know, that that's their social organization. So, yeah. Interesting. And it makes me think of Wikipedia a little bit. I mean, I don't know if it strictly is a DAO, but it operates kind of that way. You know, people submit content to Wikipedia and then the other members of Wikipedia review it and vote on it and decide if it's legit or not legit or make edits that my am, am I thinking in the right direction? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and just like the way we set up corporations or create startups, I mean, this is the new way to build your startup. More democratized approach, so to speak, to More democratized, more And then when these DAOs make money. So, Sorry, when it comes to make money, go ahead. Yeah, if the DAOs make money, then who gets the money? 
Well, it depends on how you participate in the DAO. And so it pays out to everybody as they're, I mean, it's almost as everybody was like a, an LP. So in terms of investor. So if you, if you come in at a certain period of time, you get a different type of payout, you get a different type of voting rights. Uh, you might get certain types of membership privileges. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, I'm glad I'm asking you about these things. I'm getting an education. Uh, I want to ask you just at a, a little higher level beyond outside these specific areas. Your first book was about disruption. And uh, obviously we've been talking about a lot of disruptive things over the last few minutes. Um, what do you think, how do you think big companies should be thinking about disruption today? Is it something that they, um, well, I don't know, you know, first of all, most people, when you start to use the word disruption, it doesn't sound like a good thing, right? You know, if you have a party and some say, we were having a party and then it was disrupted, you don't usually say, oh, awesome, that sounds fantastic. You're like, oh no, what happened? So what? what's the mindset that companies should have today about disruption? Because it sounds like something in many ways companies try to avoid. And yet it seems like uh, those that are most successful have a different mindset about it. It's a really good point, right? When we first talked about how cool disruptive technologies were and what disruption was doing, right? There was a sense of you're pioneering something, you're creating a revolution, you're a change agent. And, and those things are great if you are the change agent. Now, if you're on the other end of that disruption, it is awful, right? You're going through a lot of pain and you're trying to figure out you know, how to change you know, not just your business models, not just how you monetize, right? But, but the culture inside an organization and, and how it gets built and implemented. So I think the notion of disruption for disruption's sake is not good, right? You don't want to go do that. Um, but the challenge of an organization that's become complacent and stayed and not responsive to you know, consumers and stakeholders like partners and suppliers and even employees, um, that means you'll be disrupted before you, know, you disrupt yourself. And, and that's really where the cadence of events is, you know, if you don't disrupt yourself before someone else does, um, then you're not taking uh, control of your own destiny and what's happening. And so from that perspective, right, um, you, you think about disruption. A good friend of ours, Whitney Johnson, right, she has a book, you know, Disrupt Yourself, right? And, and, and the concepts behind that and organizational disruption are similar, right? You see a trend coming, you're doing nothing about it, and you know what? You could go out of business. Okay, what's the better alternative? Let's go out and figure out how to disrupt ourselves and, and make the changes along the way. But that's not easy to do. Most organizations are optimized for operational efficiency and compliance. And that's like 90% of the organization. So they spend all their time putting their best people, trying to optimize things, you know, squeak out five to 10% margin. And it's like, great. Okay. So we just keep chugging along and that, that, that's what's been going on in most organizations. So once in a while people put together teams and they used to be called tiger teams, or these are the, uh, you know, the black belts in an organization that go out and, you know, these are folks that have lots of experience, have, you know, really good consulting and acute uh, skills in terms of figuring out what they want to go do. Um, and, you know, that's about five, seven percent of the organizations out there building on special projects, right? Let's go figure out how to get 10 to 20 percent gains and, you know, get cost savings in the 10 to 20 percent range and, you know, build out new products. Okay, that's great, right? That's incremental innovation, right? That's what happens and organizations are good at that. Uh, but the last part is hard. It's the disruptive innovation that's very, very difficult. That's like 1% of the companies focused on that. People are like, oh, I have no idea who that person is, why they're here, right? They're out there breaking things, right? You know, asking the tough questions. And those folks typically don't succeed, right? They get there, they make a little bit of progress. People say, hey, this is possible. And then the antibodies all come in and attack those individuals. Yes. 
and you've been there like consultants come in and sometimes we play oh, yeah. this disruptive role right and sometimes like they bring in this outside leader who's never had experience in the industry and they're going to go change things and that that works for a little while and so what we've learned over the years is that you have to bring these three teams together right the first two work along well with each other the folks are greater with operational expertise and they're doing some good stuff the incremental innovation folks work well but you have to bring the disruptive innovators and the you know the, the people that are doing transformational innovation they've got to work within the constructs of the rest of the organization and if you don't put those two things together you'll have these failed projects, right? And, you know, large retailer decided that they'd put together an innovation lab in California, even though they're based out of, you know, Southeast US. Yeah, that, that didn't work out very well. The one side built these really cool things. The other side said, we're not going to do that. So thank you very much, right? And that's wasted money, right? And so, so the idea is to actually bridge those two things together and you can actually make digital transformation work. Yeah, yeah, well, I totally... Uh, uh, align with and my mind is flooded with all my own experiences of working at big companies and seeing those antibodies like you just said um so but i wonder if there are you know examples that you've seen that are successful big seemingly you know old-fashioned monolithic companies that somehow managed to disrupt themselves despite all those obstacles and challenges are, are there any case studies that we should look to as kind of inspiring examples that we shouldn't get too discouraged that you know all those antibodies mean that Forget it. I, you know, if, if you're a disruptor, you should just go work for a tech startup because trying to work in a big enterprise is just endless frustration. I definitely think a lot of people feel that way. Where, where can we look for signs of hope? You know, let's take John Deere. Let's take Domino's. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Let's take Comcast or Netflix, which an industry you know very well. Um, let's start with John Deere, right? Yeah, that's practice. a great example because people probably know the Domino's story or whatever, but a lot of people, I happen to know a lot about the John Deere stuff because of work we've done in the satellite industry, but a lot of people don't. So please talk about what John Deere has done to transform. That's a fantastic example. They've spent the last seven years building an autonomous tractor, right? They purchased a unit, as you know, that basically helped them with GPS and guidance of tractors. We used to make fun of that because it's like, hey, that's a dual use technology. It works for tractors. It works for tanks. Hmm. But, you know, but, but the interesting thing here is the, the fact that you know, they've been applying sensors and LIDAR technologies and cameras, the same stuff you do in the Thomas vehicles. They've been looking at AI and ML, and they took 50 million images, right, to figure out obstacle detection, right? And how do we run? I mean, their biggest question is we're running, we're running out of arable land, so places to grow food. Right. And the populations are only growing. And so the land either has to be more productive or we have to be more productive. And, you know, these tractors typically you know, need to be guided by humans. And that's only going to work so far. Can we actually build autonomous tractors that work? And so at CES this year, they unveiled their autonomous tractor. You know, and this is not like they just did it overnight. This is like you know, probably a decade worth of research going into this thing and just tinkering and getting this stuff finally out the door. And they finally do this big launch. And these tractors can run eight to nine hours a day. They can identify obstacles. They took 50 million images to figure out, hey, does a farm work this way? Does it look like this, right? They've had perfected the satellite technology so that I think they're within an inch, right? You know, when you actually plow and plant, I mean, they're within an inch and that's pretty impressive for what they can do. And so now we can actually run tractors more often. We can actually plant more often. We can do this in a way that, you know, doesn't address any of the labor shortages that we might have. You just got to fuel this tractor and you're good to go. Right. And so you can do this, right? Companies that actually make that investment, um, they, but they've had to train folks. They've had to bring outside folks to come in and they've got to get, you know, the right talent uh, in place and, and the right, you know, advisors along the way. So, so it's a pretty good success story. 
Yeah. What do you have to add Task. to that? I mean, you, you were working on the satellite technology. That's pretty cool. Well, so, well, one, you know, one of the things that the satellites can do is they can take infrared images of the soil and detect nitrogen. Level. And then one of the things that tractors do is to fertilize the soil. And so historically farmers might take a few samples and I guess they put it in a test tube and do something to test the nitrogen, but then they sort of fertilize large areas. And All in the fact, same way. the night, well, more or less, that's historically what you do, right? You don't fertilize this three square feet differently than you, but in fact, it turns out that if you look at these satellite images of the nitrogen, it can be quite splotchy for whatever combination of reasons, some areas are much higher or lower nitrogen. And so what that means, by the way, fertilizer is kind of bad for the environment and, and actually, yes, based on what it is, you wouldn't think it would be that expensive, you know? but it turns out <laughs> that, uh, you know, actually it is, it's expensive, it's heavy, it's not great for the environment. So if we can use less of it or use it more efficiently, it has a huge impact. If we can make the soil more fertile with less fertilizer, win-win all around. And by having these tractors, and that's the kind of thing that an autonomous tractor can do, frankly, probably a better job of than a human. Where if that tractor knows, okay, for this next three feet, I'm going to put this much fertilizer, then I'm going to skip the next couple feet, then I'm going to put just a little bit. And in that way, by continuously getting that kind of satellite imagery, we can master, should be able to massively optimize farms. So yeah, just fascinating use case. And what I love about John Deere is so often you have, we have this image of digital transformation happening and, you know, gleaming Silicon Valley headquarters, you know, or with all these hipsters, you know, and then if you imagine what could be more of the earth, you know, than John Deere with these dirty tractors covered in soil, and yet digital transformation is potentially just as important there as it is on, you know, Uber Eats or whatever. So, um, yeah, I love that example. Yeah, no, and, and you, you don't have to follow the land as much, so you can actually use it more often, and the watersheds uh, that you're actually fertilizing actually are much better. So lots of cool things. And your thing about not just the satellite data and the infrared data, what's interesting is now let's pile that with some AccuWeather data, some water data, and now you can actually also optimize what you do for irrigation, right? So there's a lot of yeah. ag tech that's popping up. That's, that's to me, is kind of exciting because for the same Absolutely. reasons you're saying, it's like, you know, it's, it shows you that you don't have to be a tech company to pull this off. Not saying that John Deere isn't a techie company, but they're not a traditional kind of tech company that we would see that has built you tech credibility. So they've got the tech, that's cred, right. which is fun. Right. So, that's um, right. Yeah, and let's take, you know, like even even like a Comcast is interesting, like all the technology they've been putting together. And that's another space that you know pretty well is, you know, but just think of like, you know, they're, they're a separate unit called Helm, right? That's building out, right, new capabilities. And, you know, I mean, you'd say, yeah, media and entertainment should be like a tech company, right? Between all the things from delivering internet to content programming to, you know, being able to actually handle like, you know, the billing and the billing capabilities that are out there. Uh, but but if you look at everyone else, they failed. Verizon failed. AT&T failed. Like there's a long list of failures of companies that were going to take content media, content network and technology and roll them up together into a vertically integrated model. Comcast is the only one left, right? Everyone has pretty much given up um, because they can't keep up with the content production costs. They haven't been able to deliver their, you know, Tech, you know, their internet or their, you know, uh, your infrastructure at an efficient capability. And so AT&T and Verizon pretty much come back and said, you know what, we're out. We're going to build 5G towers. We know how to do that pretty well. Uh, we're going to have this content business. You guys go take over, right? And, and that's very interesting to see how they've been able to manage that whole empire um, over time. Sky TV is another great one, right? You know, they just rolled out something really cool. Um, I think it's about 40, 45 pounds uh, per month. You get like a 
probably about 50 inch TV along with content uh, that's all built in there. And they've created subscription models for um, delivery of both the content, the hardware, along with additional digital services. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't count Disney out. You know, they, I mean, I remember when they bought InfoSeek with that same type of vision, right? This is more than 20 years ago. And obviously that didn't work out for them. But on now with the launch of Disney Plus and a, a digital delivery mechanism that's more aligned with, you know, viewership rather than reading, uh, it does seem like they're poised to dominate and be a major competitor to, to folks like uh, Netflix. So they may, they may have found a path that's more Disney-esque than buying a company like InfoSeek to provide, you know, kind of like news and other kinds of content. But imagine if you can have the Disney experience and the metaverse, tying back what we said earlier, right? And, and Disney Plus allows you that ability to experience, you know, Disney World in a 3D environment. That's going to be pretty wild, right? Uh, and, and you'll see those kind of things emerge. And that's why I actually think it's really important to look at the studios because the studios have a lot of digital assets that will turn into NFTs, that will create these new types of experiences uh, that people are going to crave for. Um, I also, live entertainment, right? Um, you, I think you interviewed uh, our friend Michelle McKenna at uh, the NFL, right? Esports, live sports, that area, you know, that's going to be another huge area. Um, live concerts, um, and you can attend the conference in person, the uh, concert in person, fine. We'll give it to you uh, in Dolby Atmos, uh, full 8K uh, in the metaverse, and you'll feel like you're there, right? Just tell us what seat you want to sit in, right? And that's going to be stuff like that, and it's, it's going to be pretty wild. So you go to the live concert, right? Pay for that. You'll view the event again in the metaverse because you want to try that experience, right? You know, and, and then maybe you'll do a one-on-one -on -one with the artist. So, Yeah, yeah. Cool stuff. Well, I can see why people pay you to tell them the future. Uh, fascinating stuff. Any, uh, we're running uh, to the end of our time here, but is there anything else? Maybe we'll have time for if you have one more prediction that you want to share, and then we'll get to uh, when people want to reach out and learn more about you and your, your content and your company. But is there one more thing you want to share? If, if, if I was going to put one more thing on my 2022 new thing that I should be doing R&D on or checking out or thinking about, what would it be? I think I would spend a lot of time on the great refactoring. And what we mean by that is um, yours, uh, your personal aspirations, the work-life balance, every organization's mission and purpose um, is being challenged, right? It's not a great reset. It's not a new normal. Um, what we're really doing is trying to identify where we evolve to next. Uh, and that great refactoring is something every organization is looking at. Right, whether it's your business model, what you do with ESGs and purpose, what do you think about in terms of you know how you handle your supply chains, how do you treat your workers, uh, what happens with your customers, how much, what kind of customers do you want? People are asking that question now. It's not like we're taking everything. You know, what kind of customers do you want to service, and how do you want to do a good job with that? Right, and what type of partners do you want to work with? The great refactoring is happening right now, and I think you'll see that strategy evolve. And you know, we'll be back to where we are in the. Roaring 20s, not a very good start. Uh, but, you know, when we look at the end of the decade, I think we're going to see some very different type of organizations. Yeah, that's a profound idea that the great resignation is just about people quitting work to rethink work and uh, that, that the future of work is a lot about a lot more than just doing the same thing remotely, that kind of thing. I hope not. That yeah. stinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. Right. Well, thank you. A very, very interesting insight. You've got my wheel spinning. A lot to think about. Um, Thanks so much, so, Howard. So, Ray, this has been great. I, we, we could keep talking for another two hours here, of course, because there's so much ground to cover. But uh, I'm committing to 30-minute uh, approximate episodes of this podcast. So we are at the end of our allocated time. But uh, if folks want to learn more about you and the work you do and your content, and I can't imagine that they would not. So where should they go? What should they do? 
Yeah, check out our website at www.constellationr.com. You can watch some fun podcasts that we do every week on Disrupt TV Show. And then you can check out my personal website at raywang.org. Wonderful. We'll put those links in the show notes as well so people can have them there. Ray, thanks so much for being here. You've, you've got me worried that, oh, there's some stuff I should be thinking about that I'm not. So I'm going to go, I better go do that right now. I get it. I get to go get the metaverse set up. So I'm going to do that this afternoon. Thanks a lot, Howard. <laughs> thanks for being here. And thanks to all of you, as always, for watching and listening to the Winning Digital Customers podcast. See you next time. Till then, keep transforming. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Winning Digital Customers, the podcast. Find more great episodes at wdcpodcast.captivate.fm, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you listen. And visit winningdigitalcustomers.com to learn more about the Wall Street Journal bestselling book that inspired the podcast.